Hello guys and welcome back to the Rambling Preacher podcast. My name is Jesse, I am your host, and let's get back to it. Rediscover, um, Rediscover Bethel, part three. And uh, super excited you guys are here. Thanks for engaging. Uh, this has been a journey um, and <laughs> I am excited to get into part three. Hopefully this one's pretty short or shorter in general, uh, but we will see when we get there. Uh, my plan on this one is 45 minutes, so... I have already said in previous episodes, I need to stop guessing. So we'll see. Um, anyway, if you don't already, I recommend following me on Instagram. We are doing polls and uh, a lot of conversations over there that do not have anything to do or sometimes they do with this podcast per se. So anyway, uh, super excited about this particular podcast. They cover a lot of interesting stuff. They cover grave soaking. Um, they cover supernatural events, wonders, they cover the glory cloud, um, miracles, healings, even talk about fire tunnels. So it is going to be fun. And the uh, charismatic in me is very excited to talk to you guys about this um, and really try to, I want to remind everyone listening to this that I grew up charismatic through and through. Like I'm not, I'm not going to have any reservation about that. I'm not going to apologize for that. I am grateful and uh, so glad that I've came to reform theology and uh, Calvinistic thinking I know it's not for everyone, and that's okay, but for me, it has just it has transformed my life to be able to cling to some of these great theologians and Puritans and get into theology and um, really what Calvinism has done for me in my adoration, uh, reverence, and, and just awestruck humility at the Father. Um, I know a lot of people think, oh, Calvinism, uh, I couldn't serve a God like that, and to me, it's like almost the opposite. I'm just like, wow, I'm... I'm so in awe. I'm, I'm excited to serve a God like this. Like this God is everything. And, and yet he loves me so much since the foundations of the earth. He just plucked me out and said, this one, I really, I really love this one. And unconditionally, um, just chose me. And I, 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 I don't know. So I'm just rambling here a little bit to start, but I was definitely raised charismatic Wesleyan. Uh, like I've said before, I do consider, Bethel to be hyper um, Pentecostal, hyper charismatic. They're not standard mainline, but they are becoming more mainline because they are so popular and their music is so popular. And you even think Bethel music, Jesus culture music, um, you begin to flirt with um, other names that I won't get into right now. Those are, I mean, if we wanted to talk about Hillsong, we could talk about Hillsong and maybe we will one day if we wanted to talk about um Upper Room or Benny Hinn, um, things like that. We can get there eventually, but let's focus on Bethel and Bill Johnson for now. So we're getting started. First point, grave soaking. That's what they started with, um, or sucking. Uh, I prefer grave soaking rather than sucking. Uh, I don't know, just maybe because I don't like the, na- the word sucking, but grave sucking, grave soaking, whatever it is, um, they started off with just saying, so we're going to talk about grave soaking. And then they just laughed. And, and the thing is, I've, I've made this point out over and over again. They, they laugh everything off. Okay. That is not common, um, in like an apology type of video. So, like I said, I I don't think this is for, um, damage control. I actually think it's for, I mean, guess it's sort of damage control, but I think it's for their fringe supporters. They're just chuckling, laughing, making light of everything and saying, of course, that's not what we mean or what we do. Okay. And so, um, 
they talked about how essentially right, right at the beginning they, they made a, this point on when why and how we need to address things as a leadership and i agree there there's a when there's a why there's a how but here's the deal when was too late why was not a good enough answer and how was wrong too like they did everything in my opinion wrong um and so they essentially admitted that a leader had told the supernatural students i don't know what else to call them but the uh, students of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, he told them that he was at a grave of a revivalist and God met him in a profound way and he encountered God just, it, it was revolutionary, right? And I'm not going to speak much to that because I don't know who the leader is and what grave it was and what he means by that. But essentially they admitted that the students went crazy because they are obsessed with encountering God. That's all they want is to encounter the spirit, encounter God, encounter, encounter, encounter. And that reminds me of experience chasing, which is not right. And, and it falls short. So the thing is, they knew this was happening. They knew the students were going to graves, doing things at graves. Everyone's doing the same thing. Okay. They're trying to encounter God is, is the story. And something that was interesting that they said in this time frame was that they were willing to fail to succeed. And they said, at times we have very big failures, and at times we have big wins. And we're experimenting, we're testing, we're learning together. And so what's interesting is that they said we're experimenting what we see in the Bible, or what we see together. And we're, we're trying to learn together what we see in the Word. I don't think there's anywhere in the Word that would lead you to believe that. I mean, you could look in the Old Testament, the prophet. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even going to get into that because that's not what this is. Okay, um, they don't see this in the Bible. To experience God in profound ways at a graveyard. Okay, that's not in the Bible. Um, fire tunnels are not in the Bible. Glory clouds, uh, gold shimmers, angel dust, uh, angel feathers, I should say. None of that is in the Bible. And so they're saying, hey, we're experimenting together. We'll see what God can do together. And yet all of these manifestations of God are not in the word of God. And yet there's, they say they're experimenting what they see in the word. And I, I just thought that was particular and particularly wrong because that's not stuff you see in the Bible. I'm not doubting that God can do beyond what's in the word. Okay. I, I don't think we should limit God to his word, but I do think we also have to acknowledge it's what he chose to gave us, give us, sorry. It is what he gave us. He gave us the word and is it sufficient? Yes. Uh, does it contain everything we need to know to reach uh, a mature Christian uh, life? Yes, it does. And so though it may not contain all of God, I mean, nothing could, it is what he chose to reveal to us. So when we're pursuing events or experiences that are outside of those things, we need to be very careful. Now, if God does do that, that is one thing. But if we're chasing things, intentionally chasing things that we don't see in the Bible, I think that is wrong and that is to be avoided. Okay, so I, I want to make that point here early on that I am in no way um, condoning grave soaking. Um, in fact, it's one of my greater struggles with Bethel. Uh, and we're going to get into how they defend it and personally why I found it lacking. Okay, um, so first and foremost, they had a complete and utter denial of grave soaking. Um, and they, they said, we avoided addressing it um, at all because we didn't want to seem guilty. 
And so they said, you know, when, when you respond to something, essentially it's a lose-lose situation. If we address the grave soaking, then it seems like we're admitting to it. But if we don't address a, address the grave soaking, then maybe it's up in the air and no one has an answer. And so they essentially said they just stayed quiet on it because they, they felt like if they talked about it, it was like admitting that that's what they were doing. I'm like, no, if somebody thinks I'm doing something that's wrong and they, they have that thought out there about me, I want to fix it. I want to, I want to say, Hey, that's not what we're doing as quickly as possible. And especially when you know, your students are chasing graveyards to experience God say, Hey guys, you can experience God wherever, whenever, just choose Christ desire Christ, desire God, like pray, worship, just enter it, you know, whatever you want to say, whatever language you want to use. But they admitted that they didn't address it. It's like, hey, you don't have to go to a graveyard to experience God. <laughs> I think that's what they should have done right away. And then told people like, hey, this was just one guy's encounter. And that's it. That's all it is. We don't need to chase graveyards. And then they talked about how they're building a revival museum with relics, much like the Catholic Church. And I'll be honest, the more I study the Catholic Church, the more Bethel reminds me of the Catholic Church. Um, anyway, that, that's a side note that maybe some of you guys will agree with if you study that. Um, but Bill Johnson made this big point. We don't pray to the, the saints at the graves, um, which I don't think anyone accuses them of doing that. I don't think they understand even what grave soaking is. I mean, they do, but they didn't actually say they weren't doing grave soaking like they they acted pretty ignorant and they said we don't pray to the saints at the graves and it's like nobody's saying you are bill and when when you when you defend yourself based on something that nobody's saying it makes me wonder if you're doing it you know i had an example of that with uh with a former pastor and uh well current elder still and the idea was I never wanted I never wanted to be pastor. Why do you think I want to be pastor? Why why would you say I want to be pastor? No one said you want to be pastor. No one thought you were trying to steal the pastor's spot. But now, because you're saying you don't want it, we're thinking you do want it, you know? And that's what I felt like with Bill Johnson at the graves. He's like, We don't pray at graves. We don't or we don't pray to the saints at the graves. It's like nobody says you do. That's not what grave soaking is. Okay, for those of you that don't know or maybe want just kind of a refresh, grave soaking is where this is this is what we be, we believe Bethel does okay and and we know it where they go to the graves of saints or revivalists or preachers pastors prophets whatever you go to the grave and because maybe they didn't disciple or pass their mantle think Elijah to Elisha because they didn't pass their mantle there is an unclaimed mantle at the gravesite and it's not just for one person to take, that everyone can take bits and pieces of it, not by talking to the deceased man. No, that's not that's not the point. It's a spiritual thing. It's not about talking to, you know, I, I, I don't know who, uh, as an example, but it's not about talking to the person of the grave because they would believe they're in heaven. That's not something Bethel wouldn't believe. They would think, no, they're in heaven. We're not praying to them, okay? They would go to the grave, lay down, room, in, you know, just resound in that presence, that atmosphere, and, and just essentially say, God, 
what this is. If there's a mantle here, like I need to take this. And, and essentially the idea is that supernaturally God begins to bestow that mantle upon you. Okay. That's wording it as best I can in favor of what they're doing, uh, not being rude or condescending. I think that's a fair answer of what they're probably trying to do. Um, and Bill Johnson said, you know, I pray to God at the graves. I say, we need this. And, and we're humbling ourselves and talking to God and saying, do it again. Okay, that, that's fair, but that doesn't negate grave soaking because honestly, you could go to a grave, lay prostrate over the grave and say, we need this God. We want this revivalist type of mantle again. Can you do it again? And then the part that's probably missing is through me, through my ministry, put it on me. But he didn't address that. Okay, um, so at the nine minute mark, that's, that's all within the first eight or so minutes. He talked about that. And then they read from his book, okay? And this is where grave soaking really, um, it comes from his book. And they really didn't say they wrote it wrong or did anything wrong here. But this is the quote from the book. Bill Johnson writes, There are anointings, mantles, revelations, and mysteries that have lain unclaimed literally where they were left. Literally where they were left. Okay, this isn't like spiritually. There's If somebody said like, hey, there was this mantle for this role as a, as a elder in this church. And he didn't disciple anyone up. And now we need to disciple someone up and, and spiritually the mantle passes from this person to this person. Um, something like that. I'm not even against that language. I think we each individually have our own mantles and calls, but I do think sometimes there's like a, a call for the city of Ogden and, and pastors work together in collaboration and there's generations of pastors and I'm not against that. Okay. I'm not against the idea of generations upon generations of pastors for a certain city or a certain area or a certain demographic, or maybe even familial where it passes from, you know, from father to son, to nephew, to son, to, you know, to cousin, to Sometimes those types of things happen, or maybe maybe they're not familiar. But what I'm saying is I don't, I'm not against the idea of discipling, training up, and passing a quote-unquote mantle like Elijah does with Elisha. Now, you may say, oh, they're prophets in the Old Testament. That's different. It's still kind of the same. I'm not trying to get into the nuance of that right now. So he's essentially there, anointings, mantles, revelations. Interesting, because we know there's no such thing as a new divine revelation. So what revelation? I don't know. Uh, I would love for them to define revelation, what they mean by it one of these times. Mysteries that have, okay, Gnosticism. That's, that's what it sounds like we're getting into. Lane unclaimed, literally, okay, that word, literally, where they were left. Where were they left? Where they died or where they were buried, okay? And then he says, because the generation that walked in them never passed them on, okay? Elijah never passed on his mantle to Elisha. He dies hypothetically, he dies. And Elisha goes to the grave, says, I need this mantle, picks it up, says, great, now I can go to work. That's not how it works. Okay. This, this is, Elijah had a physical mantle. Elisha took it. It, it wasn't about the mantle. It wasn't about anything physical. It's purely spiritual. You don't need to go to a grave site to pick up a quote unquote spiritual mantle, right? That's not how it works. God bestows it upon you if there really is a mantle. Okay, I'm not getting into the anointings, revelations, and mysteries. That's a whole nother topic in a sense. But anointings, revelations, mysteries, thats that, you're flirting with Gnosticism there. It's, phrase, it's crazy to me that they flirt with Gnosticism and mysticism simultaneously at times. Um, 
Okay, but they said, and never pass them on, I believe it is possible for us to recover realms of anointing. Okay, we recover these realms of anointing, realms of insight, realms of God that have been untended for decades simply by choosing to reclaim them and perpetuate them for future generations. Honestly, I'm not against that so much. I mean, recover realms of anointing, recover them. How? He doesn't say in his book, but he says they were left where they were literally left physically somewhere. So we know what that means. We can read between the lines. The thing is, Bill Johnson just, (laughs) up until now, he's never really had to super respond to critique and never been super held accountable for his words. And so I think he's going back and saying, "Eh, it wasn't the greatest wording, but here's what I mean by that. Okay, now get that. You hear the quote, you hear the book, what it says. That seems pretty cut and dry to me, okay? Especially when you know they're grave soaking and they're refusing to address it and they're letting their students do it. And they do, if, if you're wondering, because I was wondering at this mark in the in the YouTube video too, are they going to talk about Benny, uh, Bill's wife, who has very a lot of photo and video proof that she grave soaks. Are they going to talk about it? They will, and we'll get to it. Um, so essentially said what he's meaning in that book is that we want to honor and build up our faith by remembering and preserving the testimony of those who were before us. Okay. Anointings, mantles, revelations, and mysteries. They're laying unclaimed, literally where they were left. Ignore that part because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. And so he's saying how we reclaim them, reclaim them is by honoring them and building up our faith. We don't worship them. We don't talk to them. And then if we honor them and have faith in that, then we receive that grace. That's exactly what he said. We receive that grace, the grace in which these revivalists, prophets, anointed men of God, what they had, we receive that grace if we honor and preserve their testimony. Where is that in the scriptures? Would love to hear that because I don't think that's biblical at all. And he's essentially saying, I don't mean to grave soak. What I do mean is this. Neither of them are biblical. Neither of them are found in the word. So both of them are wrong. Now, if those types of things happen, not by us choosing to pursue them, but if they happen or something like that, that's that's a whole other conversation. But what we need to talk about is the fact that they're intentionally pursuing these things and they're not in the word of God, okay? Um, And then at the 1530 mark, kind of moving on, they kept talking about this for a while. Uh, they, they, Bill Johnson literally said, oftentimes it's 10% God and 90% human, but that's more God than not. <laughs> so we're, we're beating the atheist by 10%. That's, that's great. That's great, Bill. Um, that, this is my problem, you guys, with, with just, I, I want hundred percent God. Okay. I want 0% human. And the reality is I know that's not probably even a reality like everyone's got human nature flesh carnal tainting their everything they do everything's tainted i i agree with bill johnson when he said you know when i'm prophesying and speaking the moment it's so tainted by my flesh that it's not as good as the word okay he admits that (laughs) and that's why i think it's so interesting he kept saying line by line preaching is not a good way to to teach and it's not a good way to get action and then he goes on to sorry getting back into the last podcast But he says that's not a good way to teach, not a good way to get action. And then he admits that he's carnal, makes mistakes, is fallible, but the word of God isn't and that the word of God is perfect. And yet he refuses to teach 
from it. And then he's here, here he is saying 10% God, 90% human. You know how a, a preacher could get up and give 100% God sermon with 0% man? This is the only way to do it, okay? Read the Bible. And even then, you could, you could actually make an argument. Hey, this translation, this and this, and there's some nuance. And okay, 99% God, 1% human. Anytime we interpret the scriptures, we're, we're adding a man element. And hopefully we're doing it with accuracy. Hopefully we're doing it correctly. Hopefully we're doing it with excellence, um, being led by the spirit, knowing the word, knowing the context, knowing the culture, right? But for someone to, to look dead in the eye of a conversation and say, 10% God, 90% human, but more God than not, frustrates me. I, I don't even want 50-50. Like I want it to be as much God as possible. And that's one of my chief concerns with this hyper- hyper Pentecost. I don't even know what to call it. I mean, I, I, I put that poll up. If you guys saw on Instagram, are they third wave or are they something different? And third wave Pentecostalism is marked by, um, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, Rodney Howard Brown, uh, word of faith movement, NAR, uh, prosperity gospel, um, talking in tongues on the platform, um, slain in the spirit. Those types of things are really third wave teachings. Okay. And, and I pretty much have just distanced myself from every single third wave teacher, preacher, pastor, um, group out there. Um, and I just find it the worst. I, I really do. I, I word of faith movement, heresy, prosperity, gospel, heresy, um, where they've taken a lot of these things are heresy. And I, I do want to remind everyone heresy, uh, C.S. Spurgeon has a great quote and he says, heresy uh, or maybe it's John Stott. I should look at my Instagram. I actually posted it in my, if you go to back to my posts, it's one of my first posts I've posted on the page, but essentially heresy always has a small element of truth to it. Uh, and that's why it's heresy is because, um, it's not the full truth. It's a small element of truth. And it's so easy for us to fall into that when we aren't truly, you know, truly focused on the price. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but here we are. It's C.H. Spurgeon. It is a remarkable fact that all the heresies which have arisen in the Christian church have had a decided tendency to dishonor, that's not even the right one, dishonor God and flatter men. It's John Stott. I'm sorry, guys. Every heresy is due to an overemphasis upon some truth without allowing other truths to qualify it and balance it. Okay? That is all I'm asking. You have, you can't take one particular truth and run with it. That's what the prosperity gospel did. Is there truth in, in prospering in the kingdom of God? Yes, but we take it too far. <laughs> is there truth in faith being a powerful in a sense? Like, I don't know how else to word that, but yes, you look at tes testimony of Christ and he always says, your faith has made you well. Your peace has sozo, right? Delivered you. It has saved you, your, your faith. Um, and to look at those types of things and say, yeah, there's something to it, but then to take it too far and say, well, if my faith can do that, then why can't my faith get me a new car? Okay. I'm not, and Hey, if, if that's something God wants you to do and it's in his will for you, then your car is going to come. I, I, that's actually an interesting story. I forget about sometimes like my grandfather, Baptocostal, if you've been here since the beginning, 
he used to pray for a specific car, a blue car and this and that. And I, I believe it eventually, like after a year or something, I, I don't know, I have to get the direct facts, but he was actually given a car that matched what he was praying for. And you could say, uh, reminds me of this or that or whatever. But if that was God's will for him and he knew like, Hey God, I, I want this. And he's like, Hey, you know what, son? I love you here. This is, I don't know. I'm just saying that we take things too far. And so that's what Bethel does is they take some truths and they just run with them. And, and what is happening, I want to reference back because this is actually at the 1530 mark is when they actually said, I already mentioned this, but this is when they actually said one leader experienced God at a grave. So the students took it and ran. This reminds me very heavily of um, experience event chasers where people don't have a uh, local church, a uh, local plurality of elders, no accountabilities. They're uh, the charismatic movement would probably call them rogue prophets. Uh, John Stott has a great quote on that too. Like there are no rogue Christians. There's no solo flying to heaven. It's true. If you read your Bible and don't come to the conclusion that you need some elders and a local church in your life, I don't know what you're reading. I really don't. Um, and you think you can just go with the flow. And I, I, I I know some people are like, I really struggle to find a good church to plug into because this church does this and this church. That's another conversation, okay? That's hard. But you have to know that best case scenario, a local church you're plugged into, accountability, discipleship, good elders, and you use your gifts in that church. Um, and I'm not going to get into the nuances of that right now. I just can't. But, okay, so here, <laughs> here's where I got frustrated. At the 17-minute mark, I, I'm, I'm trying to take my frustrations out before I record these, but I have to be honest, this one, they're just not winning me over. And I wanted them to win me over more. Uh, 17 minute mark. Bill Johnson goes on to use the example of the wheat and the tares as an example for their supernatural events. He says like, I'm, I'm obsessive. I want things to be squeaky clean, but we can't, right? That's not how things work. We got to let God do God. Um, God is not a God of order, not disorder. Anyway, um, and he said that he's been in, in environments that even challenged him, which that would be challenging for a lot of people if it challenged him. And he said, here's the deal. If I close my eyes and I just don't think, I just stop thinking about it. I just stop think. I want you to think about that. <laughs> just stop thinking. I'm asking you to think. He said, don't think. And you realize the Lord is in this. Once again, Bill, please show me in scriptures. This is the problem with this hyper charismatic group is that they love to just throw their brains at the door and say, oh, you know, those brains, they're at, they are enmity with God. They are at enmity with miracles and signs and wonders, and they just fight against God. That's, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. We, we are transformed. Our minds are transformed. Okay? We are to Bend our will to the will of the Father. When you're throwing and chucking your brain at the door and walking in, all it is feelings and experience and, and, and emotions. They're not throwing their emotions at the door. I mean, heaven forbid we get a little Baptist sometimes. I mean, I just come on. Like, I'm not saying to throw your brain at the door. I'm not saying to throw your emotions at the door. Just be real. Let's be honest. You don't walk into an environment that challenges you and say, I need to stop thinking about this. And then once I stop thinking about this, I realize God is in this. Based on what? His feelings. 
God is in this. That's not in the Bible. It may seem like a good answer to most of my charismatic friends. But don't throw your brain at the door. Just don't do it. Think on it. Pray about it. Think of scriptures. Open your Bible. <laughs> and, and you know what? Maybe God meets you. And, and I think about the man where I asked him to dip his hands in milk, okay? Like I said, I'm charismatic. And he was healed, okay? I don't know how. I, I don't know how that happens. That's not in the Bible, but I can only have some confirmation because Christ, he told he, he spat in dirt and rubbed mud in a guy's eyes, okay? Crazy things happen, but it's what he chose to give us. And so if it falls outside of the word, we need to be very, very careful, very, very cautious. And I think we should be critical. I think we should evaluate it carefully and be safe. And I would rather err on the side of, of safety than err on the side of, Let's just roll with it. Because what happens is you have all these let's just roll with it and you've got Todd Bentley running the show. Just roll with it. People are getting healed when he kicks them. Who cares? He has angels that he talks to and sends on commission. Who cares? No, we do care. <laughs> we do care because we think about these things and and we're challenged by them. And, and yes, they're wrong. Okay. Um. And, and then they said, our members, our, our, our people are so hungry for God, so hungry for God that they have to be careful because they always want it. They always want God. But they don't always want God is not what that, that's not actually a true statement. Okay. A lot of them do. Sure. But they all want to experience God is what they want. Okay. Let's just call it as I see it. Now is experiencing God wrong? No, but Something Christians really, especially in the hyper-charismatic circles, need to, to realize is, one, faith is not what you do to accomplish what you want. Prophecy is not decreeing the future and creating history. Those are things they believe. Um, experiencing God is not running to a graveyard to experience God. You are sealed to the Holy Spirit. And that's the other thing. The Holy Spirit is not a powerful force. He is that, but he's so much more. He's a person who is sealed to your very being if you are a Christian. You are baptized by Christ into the Spirit upon salvation. And yet, Bill says we have to be careful because they're so hungry. Anytime anyone says they experience God somewhere, they chase it. What does that make us? It makes us experience chasers. We can experience God anywhere. Anywhere. You could experience him. Um, on a volleyball court. You could experience him um, on the way to work. You could experience him in your bedroom. You could ex you experience him anywhere. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's sealed to you. He's with you wherever. Now, what that experience looks like, I'm not even going to hash that out right now with you guys. That's different. And, and I'm not going to limit God in that and say you can only experience him in this way. I do think we should be careful. Um <laughs> But that, I'll end that because I'm really trying to stick to this 45-minute plan and I'm not doing well. Uh, so at 21 minute, they finally did address Benny Johnson, the pictures, the evidence that she's laying completely flat on top of graves of saints. Um, and the only response they gave for that was, we respond to God how he wants us to respond. If he wants us to dance, we dance. If he wants us to kneel, we kneel. If he wants us to lift our hands, we lift our hands. If he wants us to lay prostrate on top of a grave for 30 minutes straight, we do that too. 
And that was it, my friends. That was their answer. I wish they addressed the fact that Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries has plenty, plenty of students. Now, keep in mind, a lot of this stuff is scrubbed off the internet now. I'm not one of those guys that screenshots all this stuff. I don't have it. I'm sure it's still out there somewhere. Um, But there are responses by students to Benny Johnson's Facebook page, her Facebook posts, her Facebook pictures, saying, grab some from me. Grab some what? Benny Johnson is praying to God, and she's just responding to God how... He wanted her to respond. Grab some what, Bethel student? Bring some back for me. Grab some of that for me. I mean, those are the comments I saw, but I know that those comments were there. They didn't address those comments. And that, to me, is concerning because that, once again, all of this makes no sense. We respond how God wants us to respond. Great. It happens to always be laying on top of a grave where literally mantles are laying unclaimed. Interesting. Okay, grave soaking, all in all, I want to be honest. I didn't buy any of their answers. I didn't buy any of it. They did not convince me one iota that that's not what they were doing. Did they convince me that they've changed or maybe they've tried to put a stop to it? Yes, I, I do think they have, which is great. Praise God for that, if they truly have. But they did not convince me that that wasn't what they were doing because, one, the book, two, Benny Johnson, three, they have admitted that they had to separate from a Pentecostal church because they were experimenting with the Holy Spirit in ways that made people uncomfortable. I absolutely believe that this leader said, I experienced God in a profound way at this grave, and Bill Johnson's like, hey, I've been thinking about that. I think we have unclaimed mantles at graveyards. And I absolutely know many people, many people in the hyper charismatic circles, they go to graves. I saw one video, uh, broke my heart. If you guys don't know Jeff Jansen, I saw a video of him grave soaking, right? And it's very clearly grave soaking. Like you guys can't even, it's not like they're praying at the gravesite. If they were, why are they recording it? Why are they taking photos? Why are they taking videos? Like, just be smarter, for for one. If you're going to do something that's mystic or, or even Gnostic, per se. I mean, it's flirting with both, like I've said before. I mean, no, they're they're reminiscing in it. They're, they're I don't even know how else to, like, I mean, Jeff Jansen was almost like he was breathing it in and kind of like shimming it out and breathing it in and, and rotating his arms around and around very clear and kind of like humming a little, like he was soaking it in. Like there's no better way to describe it. It's like soaking in the sun. He was soaking in the sun with a whiff of, of tulips. Okay. I don't know, but there, there is enough evidence out there that plenty of hyper charismatic people grave soak. And now it looks like they're backing away from it. Cause they didn't say they were, I would have loved, I would have had much more honor for them. And in this situation, if they would have said, you know what? You know how we said we experiment with some things? Well, one leader said he experienced God in a profound way at a gravesite. We do believe maybe there's mantles left by deceased deceased Christian leaders. We were trying to pray to God in those moments to ask him to pass the mantles to us. And so, yeah, we were kind of grave soaking, I guess. And we've realized that that's just not how it works. And God's going to bestow the mantle on whomever he wants. And, and Maybe if we ask for it, we can ask for it in our sanctuary. We we could ask for it. I would have 
utmost respect. This conversation would not be 30 minutes long at this point. I would just say, this is what they said. I respect that. I respect that they apologize. I respect that they said that's what they were doing. I respect that they said we're moving forward. We, we no longer condone it. We're sorry. And moved on. I, I, I'd be on cloud nine right now because the reality is it's absolutely what they're doing. And they just, they just brush it over. They haven't even, like I said, at the very beginning, they laughed about it. And they said, we didn't want to address this because it would be like admitting to it. Well, you have to admit you're at graves. You have to admit it because there's evidence everywhere that all of you, every single one of you guys, you hang out at graves. Okay. Um, 26 minute mark made a comment. Manifestations are making the spirit known. No, that is not what it is. Um, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to make Christ known and Christ makes the spirit known and, um, manifestations are not about making the spirit known. And that I think is why we have to be careful. The Holy Spirit isn't trying to take control of the show. The Holy Spirit isn't saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. The Holy Spirit says, look at what Christ did. And if you don't, you need to know that first and foremost, the spirit points to Christ, the Christ points to the spirit. It is a beautiful, beautiful example of love. They are so self-sacrificial. They love the other and the spirit his whole purpose in being sealed to us is to remind us of Christ, to remind us and strengthen us in Christ, to point to Christ. He he puts gifts in us, through us, for the upbuilding of the church because the church is Christ's body. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to make Christ known and to build up Jesus Christ. So spiritual manifestations are not about making the Holy Spirit known. That's not what it is. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to be known anymore. If you're sealed to him, he, you know him. It's over. <laughs> He's about making Christ known. And so that's why how you really, in my opinion, one of the best ways to know if the Holy Spirit's operating is, is Christ being glorified? If the answer is no, then it's very easy to tell this is likely not the Holy Spirit. You may say, oh, there's some crazy things that happen here and there. Okay, we're going to take those as we see them and as they come. But in general, a very, very good rule of thumb is, is Christ being glorified? Or is a man being glorified? Or is a gift being glorified? Is the flesh tarnishing this moment? Or is this completely demonic? That's another reality. Okay, at the 29-minute mark, they did talk about the gift of tongues. Uh, they did say that they completely condemn and refute entirely the just-make-it-up tongues. And they completely refute to babble until it comes up or, or to speak gibberish until it happens, which is interesting. I thought, I thought that was interesting because that's a pretty common, like Sid Roth Pentecostal teaching is to just, you know, just start saying words and eventually it will come. And that's actually a different conversation. Eventually we're going to talk about tongues. Uh, <laughs> I've been avoiding it. You guys know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I've been mostly avoiding it. Um, I believe in it. I think that's obvious by now. Um, uh, but the exact nuances of that, I'm going to save, I'm going to save my opinion on those for a little sooner. Uh, or a little later, we're getting through the Bethel stuff first. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I actually made this side note. This did not come in this video. This is actually another Bethel video um, by Bethel, Texas. I can't remember what city it was, but they had a woman pastor up there preaching. And she said, you know, we're all prophets. We're all prophets. We're all called to be prophets. Um, get a prophetic word for your neighbor right now. Just Take a moment, pray, ask God, prophetic word. You get a vision, you get a number, you get a verse, get a get a word, whatever it is, get a prophetic word. She waits a few minutes, or not a few minutes, like 20 seconds. And she says, if you do not have a prophetic word by now, I need you to make it up. 
make one up. And there was some chuckles. And she said, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. You like, you guys think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Make a prophetic word up. You guys can look that up. It's on Polite Leaders YouTube. And uh, I'll give you a secret. Bill Johnson teaches that too. Because how do you start prophesying? You start prophesying by, if Jesus Christ were here right now, what would he say? That is not prophecy. Um, can we play that game and say, you know what, my friend, if Jesus was here, this is what I think he'd say. Or we could look to C.H. Spurgeon who says Christ and the word of God are so interwoven that to separate the two would be a devastation and say, you know what, Christ isn't here per se, but the Holy Spirit is sealed to us and he points to Christ and the Christ is so interwoven with the Holy Spirit's book he wrote about Jesus. It's a love story about Jesus and God and, and how they love us. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, why don't we open our Bibles together and maybe work through this together because this is so interwoven with Christ because the Holy Spirit just is a little obsessed with Jesus. Um, but no, you know, we're going to say, what do you guys think? He would, And now, now it's convenient to think. Think of that. <laughs> now it's convenient to think when we're making stuff up um, and faking it. Anyway, that's just something, a side note about making stuff up. They're totally okay with you making stuff up about prophecy, but you're not allowed to make up tongues. You're not allowed to speak gibberish, which, hey, cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm against making stuff up too. Okay. Um, interesting point around this mark as well. 30 minute mark. I'm not going to hit 45, but we'll try. I'm, I'm doing okay now. We're, we're speeding through this. Um, is that they define joy <laughs> and they said it is not inner peace. It's bigger than that. <laughs> and this is this is what they compared it to. Okay, it just makes me laugh. This was this was Dan, and I I'm starting to like Dan, but this was just he just missed it here. He said joy is like your team won the Super Bowl. It, it's it's exciting. It, it you're you're energetic. You're full of energy. You are just shouting and dancing and 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 just so excited. Like your team won the Super. Bowl. That is not joy. That is called being excited. That is called being happy. That is fine. And they said, it is not inner peace. That's so funny <laughs> that they said it's not inner peace. And they said, well, it's bigger than that. It's like your team won the Super Bowl. How is inner peace smaller than your team winning the Super Bowl? I need to know that because for me, I've always defined happy as an exciting moment and joy as a lifestyle uh, of peace, tranquility, and yes, like happiness in general. Um, that's fine, but not like an excited, you're not excited 24-7. That's not what joy is. Joy is... <laughs> it is kind of like inner peace. I mean, honestly, joy is resting in, in Christ and, and having peace in Christ. And, and yes, being a little happy because you have Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, I thought that was interesting that I, I, I took offense to that slightly because comparing joy, my, 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 my bread and butter, something I really try to live by kindness, happiness, inner peace, tranquility, patience, charity, like all of those things. I just think they're so latched together with joy in a sense to be defined as if your team won the Super Bowl. No, that's that's not joy. That's being excited. That's being full of emotion, of happy emotions. That's not joy. Um, <laughs> okay, then they get in 38-minute mark. They get into the Kundalini spirit, which they had never heard of ever until the internet made it up about them. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I, that's all I have to say about that, that they never knew of Kundalini 
um, that everything they do is so, this, this is actually, I wrote it down word for word. It's so pure. It's so holy that they would have never thought it was a demon. Okay. Charismatics who always think of demons and spiritual warfare. So pure, so holy, never thought it was a demon. They never heard of Kundalini. Okay, I get it. I didn't hear of Kundalini until, geez, four years ago, maybe. But when I studied it, it became very obvious that things looked the same. Some of these hyper-charismatic meetings and what happens with the Kundalini spirit, they looked the same. Heaven forbid we start talking about Christian yoga and what that does and the kundalini involved in that. But they didn't know. And they literally said the internet made up kundalini. No, the internet did not make up kundalini. Kundalini, kundalini is a false god in another religion that is what I would consider a demon, a powerful one, one that likes to be worshipped. Um, and yes, I believe likely enters into... Um, like a false Holy Spirit. And they said that the internet made that up. And they never knew it. My friends, it's not made up. It's a real thing. Look into it. Watch videos like I have. Um, watch what it does to people. Watch your videos. Watch what happens at your meetings. And tell me those things do not look the same. With a straight face, please. Because I'm not saying everything you guys do looks like Kundalini. But a good portion of it that I've seen on the internet does, okay? Um, it doesn't mean everyone's that, but come on, at this point, at this point, like, would you rather keep on going and say 10% of this is God, 90% of this is human, but the reality is it's not even human anymore. You're allowing false gospels, false works-based religions, false faith, false demons, false Holy Spirits, I should say, demons, kundalini into your church 90% of the time, 10% it's God, so it's okay. No. Get back to the basics of the gospel. Get back to the word of God and say, you know, we're going to rebuild. We want those things, but we've let in too much of the dark. You know? And I'll be honest, like that's something I think the charismatic church in general needs to do. I think they need to take a step back. They need to realize that the charismatic church is bleeding I wouldn't say it's dying. I mean, I've said it's dying in the past. It's definitely bleeding. But the charismatic church grows so fast, um, too. So I, I don't know. Um, so I don't know. But it's bleeding. There, there are people leaving the charismatic church pretty pretty quickly right now. Um, the reformed church is growing exponentially. And a lot of it has to do with this type of stuff. So we have to be careful. Very careful. And I, one of the one of the worst things, the things I struggle with the most is watching people that were charismatic and they did attend a NAR, Word of Faith, Prosperity Gospel, pushing church that was obsessed with feelings and emotions and, and never taught the Bible truly and never did any type. And then they get over to the Reformed side of things and then they mock charismatics as a whole based on their one church that they've been to, their experience with that one church. Stop. That is not the experience of every single charismatic there is. We, this is me calling out reform now a little bit. There's, there are too many. I, I, there are too many accounts on Instagram right now that mock charismatics because of their charismatic experience. 
okay, we get it. You were hurt. You had to reconstruct. You came to reformed faith. Praise God that you are glorifying God now. But does mocking charismatics truly glorify God, or is this really about how they hurt you? That is not the condition of every single charismatic church, what you went through. Not every charismatic church is NAR. Not every charismatic church is prosperity gospel. Not every single charismatic church has manipulative leadership. Now, I'll admit that there's a lot of them, but I'm not going to say all of them, because guess what? I haven't been to all of them, and I know that there are plenty of good charismatic churches. In fact, I would argue there's a lot of them. Um, so there's my charismatic coming out for your reformed folk, if you even listen to this. I don't know, you guys might have given up on me already. If you haven't, reach out to me on Instagram and say, hey, I am a cessationist, but I still like your podcast. I appreciate it. Because uh, I, I, I like to challenge myself too. I listen to John MacArthur, even though I really don't agree with a lot of his theology, to be honest. like um, I agree with a good chunk, the important chunks, but there's a lot of stuff I don't agree with. I actually am closer to R.C. Sproul in a lot of areas, um, or other people too, but I'm closer to R.C. than John MacArthur on a lot of stuff, other than maybe the baptism point. But I listen to John MacArthur. I challenge myself. I listen to Phil Johnson, right? I listen to a sermon. It was a a decent sermon on, is there a baby in the charismatic bathwater? I listened to that sermon. Challenged me. He talked about Todd Bentley a lot. He talked about reformed charismatics, like me, <laughs> and it challenged me a little. I mean, but I didn't really disagree with much of what he said, other than, "Is there a baby in there?" No, I mean, I disagree. Yes, there's a baby in here. Uh, it's just really, it's really dirty water right now. Because yeah, we keep esteeming Todd Bentleys and Kenneth Copelands of this world, the Cat Kerrs of this world, when really we should be esteeming, you know, the Sam Storms. Who is a Reformed Charismatic? The Wayne Grudems, the biblically focused Charismatics. We should be esteeming those guys, but heaven forbid, nobody even knows who they are in the Charismatic camps because they're so focused on Judah Smith, Stephen Furtick, um, Todd White, uh, Kat Kerr, Kenneth Copeland. I mean, and yeah, a lot of these guys are not good. I mean, they're unorthodox and praying for their souls. Anyway, um, uh, Let's see here. They they spoke. I thought this was interesting. We're we're getting close here to the end. Where am I at? Fifty minutes. Yeah, we're going to an hour. Sorry, guys. Um, spoke of this weird situation where this woman was dancing very provocatively in front of Bill, um, and he felt cold next to her. Um, that was interesting, and they essentially said that she was demon possessed, and they cast that out. So that's cool. If she was demon-possessed and found Christ, that's pretty pretty cool. Um, they don't really talk about demonic deliverance a lot, which, I'll be honest, is probably something they should really focus on. Um, <laughs> if they're a charismatic church and they believe that they can cast out demons, which I hope they do, um, uh, they got demons. They got they got some they got some cleaning up to do. Uh, and sorry, that's just me being plain and blunt there. Um, I'm just trying to think here. They did talk about revivals were full of unusual manifestations in their meetings and in the movement. And they said, you have to offend your mind to expose your heart. Okay. Those are fine comments. Um, I've studied revivals. There are some that I would endorse. There are some that I would not. And 
usually the unusual manifestations is one of the reasons I would not endorse. Uh, Brownsville, I know that's up for debate. I'm okay with Brownsville. I am. Um, Azusa, I know that's up for debate. I think I generally endorse Azusa. I'd like to study it a little more again, afresh, but I think I generally do. Now, Toronto, no, I, I don't. I don't know what that was. I don't think it was the spirit. Uh, and people might, charismatics might be like, what? What do you mean not Toronto? No, I. that one got weird, okay? <laughs> like, that didn't seem to glorify Christ. And even Brownsville had some wrong in there. And, you know, and that's a problem. Is It's like, where do you draw the line? And it's so hard when you're charismatic because everything's so murky. It is. It is dirty bathwater over here. I mean, they... I mean, even Phil Johnson was making the point, like, I need Dr. Brown to recognize he needs to drop, draw harder lines. I need these people to draw harder lines. And that's what I'm trying to do as a charismatic, as a reformed charismatic. So I'm really trying to draw harder lines. But sometimes, you guys, it's so hard. Like, what about this guy? What about Todd White? Todd White apologized. Was it genuine? I don't know. It seemed genuine. But I don't know. Do I still generally avoid... Yeah. Am I praying for him? Yeah. When I think of him or I see something of him, I, I say a quick prayer for him. But I don't know, <laughs> you know? And it's like, do I draw a line? I, I draw a dashed line, I guess. Like, yeah, I avoid, but I'm also not saying he's a heretic. I mean, he was getting real bad. And I know if you're reformed and listening to this, you're like, how can you not see Todd White's clearly a heretic? I don't know, man. I guess I just have more hope. <laughs> I really do. I, I hope sola fide really rings true when we get to heaven. And we're like, hey, Bill, how'd you get to heaven? Well, I placed my faith in Christ to pay for my sins. Of course. But your theology was just so bad. Turns out, that's what I'm hoping. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. And that's not how we should live our life. Just hoping that, you know, it doesn't matter what our theology... I mean, we have to have a good understanding of God. And I don't know, you guys. I'm just... This is just me rambling on, on my heart a little bit. This is why I'm so built on charity. Like... I don't know, but I'm always continuously hoping for the best. So anyway, um, the 50-minute mark is where they said some things are unusual, but if it's not in Scripture, it doesn't mean it's forbidden. But once again, God gave us the word with a purpose, with something in mind. So if it's outside of Scripture, be careful. If it's in Scripture, great. If it's not, <laughs> be careful. And it seems like, generally... That's what they choose to pursue is things that are not in scripture. Um, they said, why do some churches have manifestations? Risk. Bible, chapter, verse, context, please. That doesn't seem biblical. In fact, it kind of sounds like Corinthians, where they were loving up these spiritual gifts so much that Paul had to correct them. I don't think that's it. I don't think it's risk. I think manifestations occur where people want manifestations to occur, whether good or bad, whether right or wrong. And manifestations, once again, is just the Holy Spirit manifesting. Could I say a teaching, an expositional line by line, precept upon precept is a manifestation? Sure, I could. Does it point to Christ? Does it give glory to Christ? If the answer is yes, then yeah. Do people use that language typically in the Reformed camp? No. But in a sense, it is. Is there risk in that? Mm, no. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what he's meaning by that. And he said, hunger precedes great outpouring. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. More to walk with Jesus than I do now. Yeah, great. And that was about the 55 minute mark. And that, I, I'm fine with that. 
but don't label it risk. Label it hunger. Label it desire. Label it, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm hungry for Christ. I'm hungry for the word. I'm, I, I want more. I want more of, and not want more of revival or experiences or risks or manifestations. No, no, we want more of Christ. Christ is interwoven with the word. The spirit points to Christ. I mean, there are other ways. 55-minute fire tunnel can get chaotic. Sometimes it isn't. Uh, no, they don't really say much about it. So if you're against fire tunnels, like I generally am, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with them if they're done right. I, I spoke of them briefly in another podcast where I said, if you lined up um, all the Reformed greats and I got to walk through a tunnel of them praying for me as I walked through, I would do it. I, I would. Um, you, you put some other people in there, you know, heck, I, I, I love so many different people. You put Mike Winger, RC Sproul, uh, Dave Wilkerson's been someone on my heart lately. Um, put all these dip, Lever, Leonard Ravenhill. I mean, that guy's fantastic. Martin Lord joins C.S. Spurgeon. Yeah. I'd walk through that tunnel in an instant. I don't care. That's not technically in the Bible where it gets wrong is where they're just having everyone and their aunt and their atheist cousin come up and lay hands on everyone and pray for everyone and it gets really chaotic and they all start acting drunk and that's they didn't say much about that but then they did talk about drunk in the spirit and holy laughter uh, which they endorsed openly and they didn't refute it or say they don't uh the only scripture reference they did give which some people give ephesians 5 do not be drunk with wine which is debauchery but be filled with the spirit but if you um yeah, if you really look at that, it's not saying you're drunk in the spirit. In fact, he contrasts the two points, saying don't be drunk, rather be filled with the spirit. What are fruit of the spirit? Well, one of them is self-control. And I think every reformed person on this would say, yep, that's right. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind. And so they reference Acts chapter 2. And they said, hey, it's too early for them to be drunk. Why did they look drunk? And they're like, hey, these men are drunk. Well, a few things that help with the context one, they were speaking multiple languages. And Dan made this point, like, hey, if they were speaking my language and I heard the gospel clearly communicated, then why would I think they're drunk? Because it's happening in many languages, like not just one. And they all come out together of an upper room, like they were all hanging out together. And they all come out as one. And they're all speaking all of these different languages. Okay, if you heard your language and only your language, and no other language, then yeah, maybe it doesn't seem drunk. And that would be typically a charismatic interpretation. I don't believe the Holy Spirit was poured out to the unsaved, the non-believer. I don't believe he went in and changed the hearing. I absolutely believe that um, the tongues in that chapter, specifically Acts chapter 2, were known languages. I do believe they were speaking human languages. One guy came out speaking, I mean, just reference today's culture for sake of time. One guy came out speaking German. Another guy came out speaking French. Another guy came out speaking Spanish. Another guy came out speaking Chinese. Another guy came out speaking Korean. Another guy came out speaking Indian. Another guy came out speaking uh, the languages in, in Africa. And another guy, and and yeah, you're hearing, you hear one guy, you're like, oh, wait, hey, that guy's, that guy's speaking my language. But everyone else, I don't know what they're saying. And in those days, in that culture, um, it was very common to get drunk to commune with your God. So it's possible they're like, hey, these guys are all together. They came out together. It looks like a party. They're all speaking these different languages. And in our culture, you get drunk to commune with your God. And they're, what I'm hearing 
is a praising and prophesying testimony of Jesus Christ as their God, as their Savior. And everyone's doing it, but in languages I don't even know, because I'm only hearing the one I know. So they would think, think, these guys are drunk. That makes so much more sense when you actually look at the culture, where you know all these other pagan gods, you'd get drunk and commune with them and bear witness of them. That was common for the culture. So accusing someone of being drunk was actually more commonly, hey, you just got done trying to commune with your God. (laughs) Anyway, um, they didn't really say much about it other than that was their defense, which, you know, um, the drunk in the spirit is something we're we're probably going to have to talk about more too because I'm not against the idea of just feeling just like, I don't know, just like the Holy Spirit's just heavy upon you. Um, But that doesn't mean you have to act drunk or or does it? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know. But like I said, I think biblically, it's one of those things where I really don't think there's a great defense for it. So if it does happen, that's outside of the word of God, wasn't chosen to be revealed. And so we have to be very careful with it. That's once again, where I'll put that in that column where it's like, be very careful with it because it's not clearly defined in the Bible ambiguous at best, not defined at most likely. Okay. Um, and, and they, they said in their school of supernatural ministry, there's don't act like you're the haves and have nots with tongues. Don't act like the haves and have nots with prophecy or different gifts. If they, if you're in a church where they worship different, honor that. So if you go to a reformed church like John MacArthur's, don't get all crazy, just fit in, which is interesting because like I said, I, if you really study it, John, Bill Johnson is trying to export his theology into all these different churches. So these students do go to different churches once they're done. Um, I said, listen, like lovers, not legalists. If you're uncomfortable and concerned, don't just say I put up with you. Genuinely seek the best. That's all fine. And dandy. uh, It's funny that they want all this grace and charity extended toward them. When they're just really not being honest with us. I, I, and I know that's, I, I try to be fair with this. I really do. But I do think people are misrepresenting them. I do think things are misinterpreted. But I, I'm three videos in, you guys. And I still can't help but think they're not there yet. They're just, they're not there. Um, at the hour 12 mark, they talked about the glory cloud. That, that they were all mesmerized, didn't even believe it. Bru- Uh, Their brain couldn't even communicate it or wrap their mind around it. Bill Johnson said that it was a few weeks before he was even there. It was happening on Friday nights. It would start late in the evening. And then eventually it was earlier during the worship service and even earlier during the worship service. Um, They said that they had heard of glory clouds in history of the church. They didn't say where or when. They said they heard of it. Okay, I I haven't heard of it. But if, if, if anyone can point me in the right direction, I'd look into it. Um, and then eventually it was right at the beginning of service. They actually said they went and checked the ACs to make sure nobody messed with it because they had doubt that it was actually God. Um, and they said, yeah, there's some people that just accused of putting glory, you know, dust in the, the AC, but the AC runs all day. So wouldn't it just be pushing out gold dust all day? It only happened during meetings. Well, that's when you filled it, probably. Um, once again, this is in that column of it's not in the Bible. I'd be very careful with it. Um, and yeah, it does not seem legitimate from any outside perspective. Now, if there was video of it happening out when you guys are worshiping out on the beach, yeah, I I would be like, whoa, 
either this is real or or this video has been altered. Um, I, I wouldn't even be jumping to the an altered video. I would, I, I would genuinely be like, God, is this real? But when I pray about this and, and when I think on it and when I, it's not in the word and yeah, it's up, it's up in the, near the vents of your building. Uh, it's never happened outside. Take it outside, you know? And they, they talked about that and how it eventually, it, it, fizz, it fizzled off pretty quickly. Why? Well, maybe because it got attention and they realized, eh, this might be something we don't want to carry on for too long. I, I think that was faked. Once again, I, they did not convince me. There was nothing they said, no defense they made that made any sense. They just said, we checked the AC. We were shocked by it too. Okay. <laughs> um, and they said a couple things on the glory clouds and then we're done. Talked about manifestations uh, and then desire spiritual gifts but we cannot measure our spirituality on whether or not that glory cloud shows up again. And then it stops showing up. Interesting that they encourage their congregation. We can't measure our spirituality by if this glory cloud comes kind of warning them like, Hey, the glory cloud was when we were really glorifying God and worshiping God with our whole hearts. And he was manifesting in a way that was powerful and unique to us, but we can't measure how well we're doing spiritually, like in our spirituality, if it doesn't show up. And then boom, cold turkey doesn't show up anymore. Um, I think they shut it off and realized there was too much publicity. And they keep making that point in all their videos. If you if you watch them, you'll notice they make this point over and over and over again. You know, we got to be careful because there's just so many more people watching us now. Like when we were a small church, you know, things like this and that, and we'd fix them and it wasn't a big deal. But now we've got to be so careful because we're a big church now and there's a lot of eyes. Yes, there's a lot of eyes. You know, let's, let's be smart. Um... But here it is. End. Ending thoughts. They're chasing spiritual ecstasy, right? Um, some might be legit. Most probably, unfortunately, isn't. Uh, they need to... I, I thought in this episode particularly, they would talk about their new age practices. Destiny leggings, destiny tarot cards. I thought that this would come here. It didn't. We need to talk about those things. Uh, we need to talk about there's new agers that come in, they see Bethel, they learn of Bethel and they're like, "Whoa, that's new age." I'm I've never been in new age. I can't look at Bethel and say, "Yeah, that's new age." I can't because I I haven't experienced it. What I can say is, that's not typical charismatic stuff. It's it's going beyond what I've ever known to be charismatic. Okay? So, don't look at Bill Johnson and Bethel and say, "Oh, that's just the Pentecostals." No. I, I think they're beyond that. Um, yeah, it's new age plus Pentecostal plus Bill Johnson is what it is. And it's just, it's getting out of hand. And uh, for the most part, if these things are legit, great, exciting. If they're not, it's blasphemy, which is pretty bad. Um, I really need them to discuss why they endorse Todd Bentley. I really, I really need that. If I don't get that, <laughs> I might even just write in and be like, I need you to do a rediscover Bethel just on Todd Bentley. Like I, I'll write into him. <laughs> like, I don't even care. I need them to do that. Um, because Todd Bentley's flaming heretic, it's obvious. And there, and Bill Johnson was his biggest allies and said, this man is David. And he just had a Bathsheba moment. He needs to be restored completely to his position. Don't, don't look. I mean, like I said, again, you can't look at Todd Bentley and his ministry and not know something's wrong. And even if you have hope for the man, even if you want the best for the guy, you can't look at him and say, meh, he needs to be a leader in the church. We need to appoint him back into his leadership position. No, you say he looks like a broken man who just 
committed adultery while being a leader. And he's marrying his new wife. There's some issues. He probably shouldn't be in ministry for a while. Probably shouldn't be a leader. Just needs to sit back, hear the word of God, dwell on the glory of Christ, kind of do his due process again to train up to be a leader. And yeah, when he's ready, we'll, we'll reinstate him. I mean, I would never reinstate Todd Bentley based on his previous priors, but if that's truly how you felt, that should have been how you handle it. No, six months later, here, hop right back in. You go get him, Tiger. And Bill Johnson was the biggest ally of Todd Bentley. And if you do not have the discernment or the judgment to know Todd Bentley was a heretic, still is a heretic, then I don't trust your judgment. And that is, I need them to talk about Todd Bentley. I need, I need it just for myself. Like, I don't think they're going to give me the answers I want. I'm hoping they do. Just saying, this was wrong. We made such a huge mistake. I don't know why I was so blind to it. That's all I need. But what happens is they keep making these little false excuses and false narratives and, and none of it makes sense. And I just wish they would apologize and say, we moved on. We're not doing that. We were wrong. If they did that, you guys, I'd be so much closer to endorsing them. But that's not what they do. Um, so three more episodes. I want to put two of these together. I'm going to try. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. Episode four covers fivefold ministry, apostolic church structure, new apostolic reformation, NAR, and the seven mountain mandate. Episode five covers prophecy, false prophets, risk, taking risk and the prosperity gospel. Episode six is more on church structure, teaching politics and rumors. That's the one that likely is the shortest that I'll, I'll cover, but we're going to play this by ear. Um, here's the deal. Many of you are thinking we're rediscover Bethel part three into this. Each of these are an hour and some odd minutes. It's over. It's done. They haven't won us over. What's the point? Should we keep going? They have yet to convince us that they are worth endorsing. And I'm completely with you. I no closer to endorsing them. In fact, this is solidifying my choice to not endorse them. Um, really solidifying it. But I want to see this through for for a few reasons. One, um, because one, I said I would. I, I wanted to cover each one. I want to be honest with that and just not give up on them halfway through. I, I, it looks like they're done at six. They haven't posted in two weeks. It looks like they're done. So I, I want to honor that. I don't want to try to at least, even if we merge two together, I want to do all six. So I want to honor that. And secondly, because where I pastor and, and people I know, people I'm connected with, a lot of charismatic, lean or charismatic in general, um, a lot of people I know like Bethel, support Bethel, love Bethel music, love everything about Bethel. Um, and then we challenge me or they come to me and want my opinion. I can easily point to this and say, look, I did my homework. I, I did. I tried. And these are my thoughts. Once you get through those, let's talk about it. And because I know so many people that like Bethel and they're just like, you know, Jesse doesn't like Bethel, but you know, I, I still like him and I still like no, like I'm going to shut that down and I'm going to say, listen to my podcast, listen to the, go watch the videos yourself if you want. I, I, I'll i just be honest. It's just biblical discernment is important while watching these videos. If you don't have it and, and having a charismatic background helps a lot because you can see where charismatics could still get on board with this type of language, but I can't, I, I just cannot to any capacity. And I know a lot of charismatics don't want to draw a line in the sand. They don't want to name names. I'm going to be different. I'm, I'm just going to put it how it is. Bill Johnson is not worth endorsing for any charismatic. He's just not. He's new agey. He's pushing the envelope too far. 
and and this is what Kenneth Hagin did. Okay, this is what Kenneth Hagin did. They discovered some truth. They pushed into it, pushed into it, pushed into it, pushed into it too far. And then Kenneth Copeland and Ronnie Howard Brown and all the likes, they just they took it and ran and became heretics like no other. Um, and that's what Bill Johnson's doing. He's taking this, and who's, who's going to pick up his mantle, quote-unquote, and carry it further? 50 years, Bill Johnson's legacy, it, it's... It's going to be marked by a heretical movement. It's going to be an apostate church that broke off and is essentially the hyper Bethel or even just still Bethel. Like, I don't know. But here's, we got to nip it in the bud now because this, this is, this has no good fruit coming from it. I, I promise you that long run, this will not have good fruit. Um, and you may disagree with me. That's where I'm at. Think on it.